There was a story that was told of a person who owned a restaurant and they had a particular, it was a high-end restaurant and they had chefs. They don't just have cooks, they had chefs that were in there. And the, the owner of the restaurant came in and he had a particular dish that he wanted served for that night. And so he had the recipe and he gave it to the three chefs that were on duty. The first chef took a look at that recipe and uh, says, well, can anybody really know what is meant by a recipe? I mean, really, it's just kind of an idea. I'm just going to kind of do my own thing. And whatever they call for, well, if he felt like using something that different, he used something different. The, the temperature, well, you know, I don't necessarily cook at that temperature. I'm going to cook it at this temperature. Kind of changed a little bit. Second chef got it. And he says, well, I believe that recipes are just figurative. That they figuratively represent different things. And that it's up to us to interpret what those things represent. And how we ought to bring that into the cook into the into the kitchen third one was handed a recipe he took the recipe and he followed it exactly as it was there used the exact ingredients chopped everything up exactly the way they were cooked everything at the exact temperature which one do you think the owner of that restaurant was happy with see sometimes we'll we'll, we'll listen to a story like that we can all pick out which one was the good one but how many times in our life have we been chef number one or chef number two I know the word said this, but does it really mean that? <laughs> I know it said don't do this, but, uh, you know, it's, it's a different day. <laughs> we come up with all kinds of reasons, don't we? We're looking at a particular area of Scripture today. I don't think we've been into it for, for a little while, but we will, we will get there. The last couple of weeks we've been on a particular theme in the submission and authority area. We looked at Gehazi's rebellion and we saw how he decided that his master, whom he called master, he said My, he has, he's done, not done something right. How many times have we been in a position to decide whether the person that we're called to serve has done the right job or not? Not just with people in this life, but sometimes we do it with God. Has God ever messed up in your life? Now, of course, the religious answer is no. When we're in church, what do we say? No. When we're at home on Monday, what do we say? God, I can't believe you did that. <laughs> Look at all that I did. Haven't you seen what I've been doing over here? And you did, I can't believe you did that. Why did you let this happen to me? How many times have we called God into question? That's exactly what Gehazi did. Look, my master has spared name in the Syrian while not receiving from his hand what he brought. But as the Lord lives, I will run after him and take something from him. I'll make this right, God. I, he, he messed up, but I'll get out there and I'll fix his mistake. <laughs> right? That's what he did. That's not necessarily a good thing. Last week, we looked at Lucifer and we saw how he fell. When he was created, he was perfect. He was the most beautiful of all the things that God created. I don't know that he's still in that, that particular shape, but he was at that time. And someday we'll get a chance to find out how beautiful that creation was. The most beautiful of all God's creations was in one of the highest positions God had to offer. And still with all that going on and in a perfect world with a perfect boss. I mean, isn't God a perfect boss? You don't get any better than that. He decided he could make things better. And he said his five I wills. And then we had a problem. We had sin. We looked last week Ended it with this one. 
And we saw that spiritual growth involves progressing from three different things. First off, what is commanded of me? I need to learn his word. That's the skeleton. That gives us the backbone of everything. But that's only one level. When God says, do this, we do it. And that's all we do. The second one is, what is revealed to me? Remember what Jesus said to his disciples? Who do men say that I am? Well, some say this, some say that. Who do you say that I am? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He said to them, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father, which is in heaven. And once they had that, then he began to teach them along the lines of that revelation that they had. There are things, as we grow, there are things God will reveal to us, and that's another level of progression in our spiritual growth. We progress into the things that God reveals to me. I learn the voice of his spirit here. This is kind of like putting meat on the bones, as we said. The third one was what is desired of me. I'm not just waiting for God to tell me things. I'm not just waiting for God to reveal things to me. I am actively searching out what does God want me to do? What is his will in this situation? I learned his will here. This is as we refer to the breath of life that would come. Well, if you're up on Facebook this morning, I, put, I tried to put it up there a little bit earlier for you to see if that helped anybody get it. Somebody was telling me last week, well, that's too late for me. I'm already on my way to church, 8 o'clock or whatever it was. Well, if I put it up there too early, then nobody saw it. So I tried to put it up a little bit earlier, but not quite as early as, as uh, when. Did y'all, did y'all enjoy your extra hour of sleep last night? Glory to God. I missed it. I was planning on it, you know, I was, I was going to bed at the, the right time for being an hour later. I was a little, little uh, it was close to where it would be. And I looked up at my watch and it said 2 or my, my, my phone, it said 2 o'clock. And your phone resets itself, right? It resets itself. I looked up, so it said 2 o'clock. I said, all right, it's about time for me to get up. So yeah, I laid there a little while, meditated on some things about what we want to do. Got up, went into the shower, got all ready, dressed, got in here to go. And I uh, went to say goodbye to my wife. She said, you're leaving already? I said, yeah. She said, what time is that? I pulled my phone. It's quarter to two. <clears throat> well, that didn't work out so well. <laughs> so we, we didn't get that. So anyway, we tried to put it up there a little bit earlier for you. Um, we'll see if it, how it was going on. But Brother Haken had shared this story with us, uh, and I've shared it with you many times before. But when he was, uh, after he was pastoring, I believe it was about 12 years he was pastoring, and after he, he, was, he was getting ready to move into the traveling ministry, and the Spirit of God spoke this to him. He says, uh, you are ready to enter into the first phase of your ministry. That kind of took him kind of odd because, you know, he'd been pastoring for 12 years. He was in ministry before that. But after you've been pastoring for 12 years, you kind of think you've been in ministry. How many would think that you've been in ministry if you have been pastoring different churches, total of 12 years, he would be thinking that. And so he was a little bit shocked. And so he questioned him on that. What do you mean? <laughs> Just first phase. Not second phase, third phase, not just a greater, first phase of his ministry. What do you mean I'm entering in the first phase of my ministry? And he says, you know, basically, don't, don't sweat it. Many ministers live and die and never enter into the first phase of their ministry. Is what Jesus said to him. Many ministers live and die and never enter into their first phase of ministry. Now, how many ministers do we have for the Lord Jesus here today? All right, appreciate both of you. <clears throat> appreciate both of you being here. Now, we're all, we're all in ministry, aren't we? We're all in, whatever it is we're doing, we're in ministry. 
We are a ministry for Him. Don't ever look at, well, some people, well, Brother Hagin, he was a pastor, he was a minister. Okay. No, so are you. You are in ministry. We are all called into ministry. There is a ministry we are called into doing. We need to look at ourselves as being in ministry. Have you entered into the first phase of your ministry yet? Now, I remember, I don't remember how old. Do you remember how old Brother Hagin was when he traveled on, began traveling on the road? 30s? Maybe 40s? Probably 30s? Somewhere in the 30s? Probably 30s. Yeah, I don't think it was any earlier than that. So he was somewhere around there when he entered into the first phase of his ministry. And he used to tell us all the time, uh, I remember, remember him telling us this. He said, in the area of the Spirit, the area of the Spirit, he said, I'm, I'm only waiting ankle deep. Brother Hagin said this to us. You should see some of the stuff we saw him, him do in ministries and, and meetings and things. Blow your socks off. He told us, he said, in the area of, of, spirit, of, of, of the spiritual area, I'm only waiting ankle deep. Now, Brother, Brother Jones relayed that story to us when he was uh, traveling with him. He heard this, him say that. And his thought was this. He says, dear God, if he's only ankle deep, where's the beach? <laughs> Don't you feel like that sometimes? Man, I'll tell you what. So anyway, that's, that's just some of the things that he had said. But we put this up there to, for you, a question we we're going to be answering today. How do I become more developed in ministry I am in? We're all in ministry, right? How do I become more developed, developed in the ministry I am in as well as the ministry God has called me in? There is a difference between the ministry you are in and the ministry God has called you to. Here's a verse for you over in the book of Acts. There's a meeting that they were having. They were all, all together in the prayer meeting. And the Spirit of God spoke to them and said, Separate unto me Paul and Barnabas for the work to which I have called them. Brother Paul had already been in ministry many years. Barnabas was in ministry longer than him. And while he was in ministry, went out to find Paul. And now we're being separated for ministry that I have called them to, which meant what they were doing before was not what they were called to. Should I do a ministry I'm not called to? Absolutely. How else are you going to get ready? Absolutely. You cannot get ready for ministry waiting for your calling. There's your example right there. Paul and, Paul and Barnabas were doing ministry to get ready for the ministry. You are in ministry to get ready for the ministry. There's a ministry God has He's called you to, but you aren't ready for it. Maybe, maybe you are. Maybe you're already in it. I don't want to speak for all of you. But just because you are in ministry doesn't mean you're in the ministry you are called to. And it may take a little while. What was the ministry that Moses was called to? To deliver God's people from Egypt. How old was he when he stepped into that ministry? 80 years old. What ministry was Abraham called to? To be a father of many nations and that, his, that the Messiah would be born from his line because of the faith that he would exercise in that child that he would have, that faith child that he would have. How old was he when that finally happened? 100 years old. And he began his ministry. <laughs> Moses is 80 years old and he began his ministry. How old are you? Don't tell me. 
We're getting, we're being prepared. And God's fine with taking 40, 50, 60 years of preparation. Jesus was prepared for 30 years for ministry that lasted how long? Three and a half years. Three and a half years. Hmm. Well, I'll put more up there on Facebook than that. If you want to care to, you can go up there and read it. Some of you may have already read it before. First Samuel chapter 22 and verse 1. Called this from rags to riches. David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. Departed from, uh, escaped from Saul. And when his brothers and all his family or father's house heard it, they went down from there to him. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, Everyone who was discontented gathered to him, so he became captain over them, and there were about 400 men with him. This number would grow to about 600. Who were the people that were attracted to serve with David? Those who were in distress, debt, and discontented. How would you like to be captain over that bunch? Doesn't talk about any of their, their, their ability to be trained, doesn't talk about how good of a soldier they were. Doesn't say how many people they fight, fought against. All it says is they were in distress, in debt, and discontented. And they all basically said, we got no place else to go. Might as well follow you. Now, is he getting the best of society here? He is not. And I do not want to lead you to the, to the assumption that every one of them becomes an ace. They do not. We'll find that out. But we see, we see um, we're not really talked about any of their training, their talents, their attitudes. What kind of attitudes do you, if you grabbed a people, bunch of people like this, what kind of attitudes do you think they would have? Not good? Poor? <laughs> these are, these are not, not great folks here, but this is what you got. This is all he has. And he took them. And he went on. They became a band of, of soldiers. And they went out and they raided the enemies of Israel. And they were very successful. We never even read one place where David made a raid and lost any men. I don't know that he didn't lose any men. I'm just telling you that a lot of times it records how many people died in the battle. And not one single time does it record that David lost any men in all the times he made raids. It talked about the loss of life on the other side. But not on his. And all we see is his numbers increasing. They eventually get up to 600. Now, if you're David and you attracted all the people that are in debt, in distress, and discontented, and you look around this bunch, what's David called to? To be king. He's been anointed to be king. Is he king? He is not king. Saul's king. He's running from Saul. He is not king. So he, therefore, he is not in the ministry God's called him to, right? Is he in ministry? Yeah. He was out there helping Saul. He was out there doing things to help Israel in the, in the battles there. The, was the anointing of God on Saul or on David? Boy, it sure was. They came back singing songs. David has slain or Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. That's an anointing. He was anointed for warfare to kill the enemies of Israel. And he did quite a job with it. 
But you look at these 400 guys who came around you. Are you looking at this as a permanent solution? Or are you saying, dear God, please bring me some people that I can count on. Now, if you're David, you are called to be king. Your mind has to start working on this. Put yourself in the position of the people you are reading about in the Word of God. Put yourself in David's position. If you are David and you are going to be king and take the place of Saul, we know the character of Saul. We also know the character of the people that Saul hired to be under him. So when you come into the throne, what are you going to have to do? You've got to replace some people. You're going to put some people in place that are loyal to you and who have better character than the people that Saul has picked. So you are looking for people and now you've got 400 people. How many are picking somebody from here? Look at what we need. What do you need as a king? You need counselors. You need somebody to head up the army. You need uh, generals. You need people to head up the treasury. Yeah, the list goes on, doesn't it? I mean, how many people does a king have on staff? That's a lot of people. So when you take over as king, you have to be ready, right? So one of the things David has to be looking for is, I need people that I can count on, that I can rely on. So when I come into that position, because David believes what God said, when I come into that position of king, I will have them. So he's got 400 men. They don't look so good, do they? You have to be asking this question, where are they going to come from? Where am I going to find these people? What are we going to do? Now, I wrote this in my outline. Let me make sure I would get it in there for you. From those no one wanted or saw as important. Because all that David had were people that no one saw as important. No one wanted them. This is where they're going to come from. It is not that God will use the unwanted and the unimportant. How many of you always thought, well, God will use the unwanted. God will use the foolish. God will use... No, God does not use just unwanted people. If that were true, how many unwanted people out there should be used by God right now? Just because you are unwanted, unskilled, unloved, whatever it is you want to put on it, just because that defines you does not mean you are in a place to be used by God. He will use those, I wrote this in there, I want to make sure I get it right for you. He will use those who have an attitude to be molded and shaped regardless of their importance to men. He will use those who have an attitude to be molded and shaped regardless of their importance to men. There are times God has called very important people and times he has called very unimportant people. Was Paul an important or unimportant person? He was important. He was a Roman citizen. He was born to a rich family. Had the best of educations. This guy's important. Did God call him? Did God use him? God does not move by whether you are important or unimportant. He's not going to shy away from you because you are important. He's not going to call you because you're unimportant. He's looking for people who can be molded and shaped. Who have an attitude that says... You can use me. You can shape me into whatever you want to shape me into. This is, and they're open for that. This is what's needed. This is what's important. First Chronicles chapter 11, verse 1. 
Then all Israel came together to David at Hebron, saying, Indeed, we are your bone and your flesh. This is after Saul died. Also, in time past, even when Saul was king, you were the one who led Israel out and brought them in. And the Lord your God said to you, You shall shepherd my people Israel and be ruler over my people Israel. So they knew that God had given them in his word. Therefore, all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord. Then they anointed David king over Israel according to the word of the Lord by Samuel. He was, a, he was outside of the country, running for his life. All of a sudden, Saul dies in battle, and now he's wanted to be king. So you go from outside the country, running, to in the country, ready to be king. So who's he going to get his people from? The 400 turning into 600, in debt, in distress, people nobody wanted. Where do we leave off at? Or at three? Therefore, all the elders of Israel came to the king of Hebron. We read that one. Verse 4. And David and all of Israel went to Jerusalem, which is Jabus, where the Jebusites are, the inhabitants of the land. Then the inhabitants of Jabus said to David, You shall not come in here. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is the city of David. Now David said, Whoever attacks the Jebusites first shall be chief and captain. And Joab, the son of Zeruiah, went up first and became chief. This is one of David's men. And David dwelt in the stronghold, therefore they called it the city of David. And he built the city around it from Milo to the surrounding area. Joab repaired the rest of the city. Now, if you're wondering what just happened there, it's this. David is basically saying, look, the job for head of the army is open. I have been head of the army. I'm going to resign that position. And I'm going to take the position of king. So I need somebody to take my position, which is head of the army. So here's the audition. Whoever takes the city, whoever leads the fight... You're the man. And Joab stepped up. He said, this is an opportunity. Joab was quite the warrior. He stepped up. He took the city. He got the job. That's a good way to have an audition, isn't it? <laughs> Let's go fight. Verse 9. Then David went on and became great, and the Lord of hosts was with him. Now these were the heads of the mighty men whom David had, who strengthened themselves with him in his kingdom, with all Israel to make him king, according to the word of the Lord concerning Israel. These are the men David had. These are the men who strengthened him in his position as king. Where did they come from? The 600 in distress, in debt, nobody wants people. And this is the number, verse 11. And this is the number of the mighty men whom David had. Joshabim, the son of Hakmanite, I'm sorry, chief of the captains, he had lifted up his spear against 300 killed by him at one time. If you ever go through all these stories, you will find out that Rambo is not a new creation. <laughs> the Bible has many stories of Rambos. He took one spear and lifted it up and one, at one time, 300 people. After him was Eleazar, the son of Dodo, unfortunate name, the Ahohite, who was one of three mighty men. He was with David at Pasdamon. Now there were, there were the Philistines gathered for battle, and there was a piece of ground full of barley. And the people fled from the Philistines, but they stationed themselves. Who is they? Do you think they're outnumbered? Here's the they. He and David. Isn't it? Look at it. He was with David at Pastamim. Now there were Philistines were gathered for battle and there was a piece of ground full of barley and the people fled. But they, 
stationed themselves in the middle of the field to defend it. You and me, come on. Let's get here in the middle of the field. We can take these guys. <laughs> <We can. laughs> now, David's no slouch. David's there with them. And the two of them teamed up. Now, you, women bond over certain things and men bond over other things. Women don't bond over the things that men bond over. They laugh at them. Men don't bond with each other over the things that women bond over. We laugh at them. Right? We just, we don't, you, really? That's what you do? All right, this is one of the things that these guys will do. I mean, some guys who like to hunt, how do they bond with other people? They go out and they hunt. They hunt together. They sit in the forest. They get in the trees. They shoot guns. I don't bond with people that way. You want to bond with me? We aren't hunting. Some people like to fish. How are they going to bond with another? Uh, they go out and they go fishing. And they spend all day on the lake, throwing the hook in, fishing, pulling stuff out. And they bond that way. And at the end of the day, who caught the most fish? Lamar probably bonds with people who play golf. As long as they can play golf the way he does. There are not many of those. You have to be able to run when you play golf with Lamar. Because he does not walk from hole to hole. <laughs> He's already described it to me. So, you know, those, those kind of things. There's different people out there. Some guys like to lift weights. And they bond with other people who, who do that. These guys are warriors. They bond with people who like to go to war. And after they get done killing people, they were enemies, they feel closer. <laughs> That's what it is. So David got, you know, he got closer to this guy. But they stationed themselves in the middle of the field, defended it, and killed the Philistines. How many? Apparently all of them. It says they killed the Philistines. So the Philistines that came, they're dead. Philistines were supposed to have been wiped out a long time ago, folks. They were still there. So the Lord brought about a great victory. Now three of the thirty chief men went down to the rock to David into the cave of Adullam. And the army of the Philistines encamped in the valley of Rephaim. David was then in the stronghold, and the garrisons of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. So he's in the stronghold. The garrison of the Philistines are in Bethlehem. Verse 17, And David said with a longing, Oh, that someone would give me a drink of water from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. So the three broke through the camp of the Philistines, drew water from the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate, and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, David would not drink it, but poured it out to the Lord. So he got three guys here. Uh, not, not quite the other three, but there are three guys here. And uh, all they heard was that David mentioned, Oh, man, I, that water from that well in Bethlehem, man, is that good water. I miss drinking from that water. That's all they heard. He didn't command them. He didn't say, Thou shalt go and get me some water. He didn't do that. He just said, they have a desire. So these men who are under David decided to risk their lives for water. You think it's expensive in the Wawa. Right? You want to go after that certain brand of, of water? How many have a certain brand of water that you like? I do too. It's called tap. Anybody ever had that one? It's a, that's, my, that's my brand. 
But some people, you know, have, they, I don't even know what the, the Sani, I know is one, what are some of the other, Deer Park, you know, they, they have certain ones and they just are, are taken to it, to, the, to that particular type of water. Now, I can see being a connoisseur of things like Diet Coke that have an actual flavor and taste. Water is not supposed to have any taste. I don't understand that, but anyway, that's, a, that's another matter. <laughs> if it's pure water, it has no taste, right? Isn't that what water is supposed to be? If there's taste, there's something there. But anyway, he wanted this particular water. It's got some kind of flavoring to it from the well of Bethlehem. So he wants that. And they say, hey, guys, let's go get him some. That's how close they felt to David. That's how bonded they felt to him. And so they break through the enemy lines, break into hostile territory, get some water, and bring it back. We're not talking about a SEAL mission to free captives. We're talking about a SEAL-type mission to get a bottle of water. David never asked them to, but they did it. They felt so confident in their abilities and the anointing of God that was on them and their loyalty to David. Let's go, let's go do this. And they did. And they brought it back to David. David, <laughs> we heard you saying that you wanted some water. Here you go. I got some for you. I can't believe you guys did that. I, I, I never would have asked you to do I can't believe that you guys did that. I can't drink that. You guys risked your very lives to go and to do this. And he poured it out as an offering to the Lord. Far be it from me, O God, that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of these men who have put their lives in jeopardy? For at the risk of their lives they brought it. Therefore he would not drink it. These things were done by the three mighty men. Abishai, the brother of Joab, was chief of another three. He had lifted up his spear against 300 men, killed them, and won a name among the three. So now this guy, he, he killed 302, but that only got him a name in the grouping. He was not among the top three. He was not among the, the, the upper echelons, but he was up, up there. In the, he's up there. But um, he's a brother of Joab. You'll find out that Joab had a very warlike family. They were all very good at it. Of the three, he was more honored than the other two men. Therefore, he became their captain. However, he did not attain to the first three. They all know their ranking. You know, if I can, if I can get into battle, if I can kill another 300 people, you know, I'll, I'll get in that. I'll get in that group. We talked about this guy some time ago. Benaniah was the son of Jehoiada, the son of a valiant man from Kabzeel, who had done many deeds. He had killed two lion-like heroes of Moab. I don't know what it means to be a lion-like hero, but it means you are intimidating. He had also gone down and killed a lion in the midst of a pit on a snowy day. This is the one we talked about. Snowy day, lion fell into the pit. He sees the lion down the pit. He's in a safe zone. The lion is in the pit. He decides to go out of the safe zone, down to where the lion was, just because he felt like killing the lion. That's his mentality. I got nothing else to do today. Think I'll kill me a lion. Jumps on down into the pit in a snowy day, a pit that the lion cannot get out of. He killed an Egyptian, a man of great height, five cubits tall. In the Egyptian's hand, there was a spear like a weaver's beam. I don't know exactly what that means, but it obviously is describing something very big. And he went down to him with a staff, wrested the spear out of the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. So he went down with something far more inadequate. It's kind of like this. The, the Egyptian comes at you with a bazooka and a machine gun 
and you have a stick. So you use that stick against him, take the bazooka and the machine gun from away from him, and shoot both of them at him. And he's dead. These things Benaniah the son of Jehoiada did and won a name among the three mighty men. Indeed, he was more honored than the thirty, but he did not attain to the first three. And David appointed him over his guard. So they had rankings. They had the top three, the top thirty. All these folks were in there. Some of them were something that you, you do not want these guys against you. But where did they start out? They started out in the area of in debt, in distress. Nobody wants them. And they got to that place. How did they get to that place? Well, David was this kind of a person. And David, if they would submit to David, the characteristics that were on David would become part of them. But they had to learn that submission to David. They were there to serve David. So what they had to do was to serve David. These three got the idea, hey, we're here to serve David. David wants a drink of water. Let's go get him one. That's how focused they were on the needs of David. Now, David probably has some guidelines. He probably has some things. You know, when you come in and you're part of my crew, this is what we do. We go to war. We fight. This is, a, this is our code of conduct. This is the things we do. These are the people we go after. These are the people we don't go after. He probably had some, some rules in there like that. But there were some things that they had to do themselves because not everybody did the things that made them into higher character people. Now, I'll put this in your outline for you. It is not the amount of ministry we are in that develops us. Sometimes, folks, we think if I get involved in more ministry, I'll be developed more. It is not the amount of ministry that develops us. Look at it this way. Jesus had 12 disciples. How many were developed? Three were highly developed. Eight were fairly well developed. And one did not develop to where they were supposed to. Is it the fault of how much ministry they were in? They were all in the same amount of ministry. It is not the amount of ministry you are in that will develop you. We've thought about that often. You know, if I was just able to do more things for God, I know I'd be further along. No, it's not. It is not the amount of ministry we are in that develops us. It is our attitude in ministry that does. You have the wrong attitude and do a lot of ministry, you will never develop. If you have the right attitude in a little ministry, you will develop faster. It is not the amount of ministry, it is our attitude in ministry that develops us. Make sure your attitude is right. Now, 1 Samuel 30, verse 1. Now, it happened when David and his men came to Ziglag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziglag and attacked Ziglag and burned it with fire. And had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire, and their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. So David, they had gone out on a raid like they had done other times. They've been doing this a lot. They go out, the 600 men go out, they go out and they fight. They kill the enemies of Israel. They bring back all the stuff. And they, they live off of that. And they're building up uh, riches and supplies and things from that. It has been working well. All of a sudden, it didn't work. Because when the 600 men went out, there was no one to guard the stuff. There was no one to protect the women. 
and the children. They left them unprotected. So when these folks came in, there was no battle, so no one died. They just came in and said, we're taking you all captive. And they had no one there to defend them. So they took all the women captive, they took all the kids captive, and they took all the stuff, and then they burned the city. So they came back, they saw the city burned, but they don't know what happened. They're distressed. They don't, did, they, did they kill people? What did they do with our wives? What did they do with our kids? Then, the, then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until there was no more power to weep. And David's two wives, Ahinoam and the Jezreelite and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved. Every man for his sons and his daughters, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. So there was disagreement here. Maybe there was disagreement on how they were leaving the city. Maybe not. But somehow they felt it was David's fault. And they're, all the men are ready to, well not all, but some of the men anyway, are ready to stone David for this. There's probably some that are standing on up there with him. You know, if you got the guys that are killing 300 people on your side, you're probably in better shape. But some of them will begin to speak of that. You hear that talk going through there. Hey, I think that should get rid of David. Let's get our own people. Then David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, please bring the ephod here to me. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue the troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them, and without fail, recover all. So David went, he and the 600 men who were with him, and came to the brook Besor, where those stayed who were left behind. But David pursued he and the 400 men, for 200 stayed behind who were so weary that they could not cross the brook Besor. Now understand where they came from. They just went out and fought. They had a battle. They came back after the battle. And then they had this experience. That, that kind of experience will zap your strength. And they were uh, wailing about that for a while until they did the ephod thing. And then they found out. God said, go after them. So now they're on a march. They haven't slept yet. Now they're on a march to go after these folks who came after their stuff. And along the way, 200 just couldn't go anymore. They're pursuing their wives and their children. They had to be complete and total exhaustion to keep, get these guys to quit. Because these are good, even the worst of them are good soldiers. Then they found an Egyptian in the field and brought him to David and they gave him bread and he ate and let him drink water. And they gave him a piece of cake and figs and two clusters of raisins trying to get his strength up. So when he had eaten, his strength came back to him. For he had eaten no bread nor drunk water for three days and three nights. Then David said to him, To whom do you belong? Where are you from? And he said, He said, I am a young man from Egypt, servant of an Amalekite. And my master left me behind because three days ago I fell sick. We made an invasion of the southern area of the Cherethites in the territory which belonged to Judah and of the southern area of Caleb. And we burned Ziglag with fire. And David said to him, Now that's got to get you mad right there, right? Burned Ziglag, you, you were in that group. Mm. Now, he's not a warrior. He's a servant. Can you take me down to this troop? So he said, Swear to me by God that you will neither kill me nor deliver me into the hands of my master and I will take you down to this troop. So that master did not instill any loyalty into him. And when he had brought him down, there they were spread out all over the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil which they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. And David attacked them from... He attacked them. They're tired. They just had fought. They came back, had that experience of Ziglag when everything's burned up and gone. And then they made the journey out to here. 
to, to do this, they got to be tired. And now we don't have all 600 guys. We're down to 400. And David attacked them from twilight until evening of the next day. That's another 24 hours of fighting after you've already been up for how long? I'd say it's at least 24 hours that they've been up, maybe longer. And you, you know you're outnumbered. You've got 400 against this great group of people that's down there. So David recovered all. Well, I'm sorry, verse 17. Then David attacked them from twilight until evening the next day. Not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who rode on camels and fled. So the only ones that got away were 400, which is how many attacked them. All the rest of them died. That's a lot of people. So David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away and David rescued his two wives and nothing of theirs was lacking, either small or great. In other words, when they were partying and having a good time, they didn't use any of David's stuff. Nothing of theirs was lacking, uh, small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything which they had taken from them. David recovered all. Then David took all the flocks and herds that had driven before those other livestock and said, this is David's spoil. Now David came to the 200 men who had been so weary that they could not follow David. When they had made a stay to stay at the brook Besor, so they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. And when David came near the people, he greeted them. Now watch these verses. We read all that to get to here. Then all the wicked and worthless men of those who went with David answered and said, Because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered except for every man's wife and children that they may lead them away and depart. Now look at what's said here. All the wicked and worthless men of those who went with David. So of the 600 he had, not all of them are of the caliber of the three and the thirty. Some of them are still wicked and worthless. But not all of them are. But some of the wicked and worthless ones are the ones who made the trip on to fight this battle. Some of the ones who were not wicked and worthless had no energy and stayed behind. Now what they say to them is this. We'll give them their wives and we'll give them their kids we keep all their stuff so they can depart and go home. They don't want them in the group anymore. They want them out because they see them as weak. You didn't make it. You didn't come along. Again, it's the wicked and the worthless. Now look at the character of David. But David said, my brethren, he calls them brethren. He doesn't call them wicked and worthless, right? My brethren, you shall not do so with with what the Lord has given us, who has preserved us and delivered into our hand the troop that came against us. For who will heed you in this matter? But as his part is who goes down to the battle, so shall his part be who stays by the supplies. They shall share alike. So it was, look at this, from that day forward, he made it a statute and an ordinance for Israel to this day. Up until this day, this was not a statute and an ordinance. This is a statute and an ordinance. We'll put another name on it. This is a guideline that they would operate by from here on out. 
from here on out, it has worked out fine that we have not left people to guard the stuff. We aren't doing that anymore. We're going to leave people to guard the stuff. And those people who guard the stuff will take part of the spoil as those who went into the battle. And he didn't just say this was a good idea. This is a suggestion. He said this is an ordinance and he made it a law in Israel. Why? Because a problem came up. He sought after the Lord what to do. And this is what he was told to do. He felt so convicted by it, he made it an ordinance. And that everyone would do it. So David still has worthless men in his group. He still has people that have not attained to this level. But they all started at the same place. Some were more yielded to glean some things from David and others. And so they grew and they became something. And some said, no, I like how I am. I'm stuck in my ways. I'm going this way. And they didn't become anything more. So when David began to pick the people who were going to run his kingdom with him, do you think he picked from the wicked and worthless men? He picked from the three and the 30 and the people who set themselves above, who showed themselves that they could do something. So in effect, you could say this. They are all in ministry doing things that they're not called to do. But they're showing who they are, developing their attributes, developing their talents, developing their abilities. So when David comes into the kingdom, he could find what it is they were to do and put them into their area of ministry. And then in this, he set up an ordinance. Now, here's the thing. They never had a problem. But now suddenly they did. And so they did something to, to orchestrate this and to correct it. They had some guidelines set up. They had some things set up to help people to begin to do this. See, this is exactly what you do in churches. This is exactly what you do in businesses. That you come up into a problem, what do you do? You set up a guideline. You set up some things to help out with that. What happens to people that are under guidelines? Some people follow them. Some people love them. Some people hate them. Of the three and the 30, what group do you think they fall into? Of the worthless men, what do you think they fall into? All right, now that you've identified all that, where do you fit? When your boss says, this is how we're going to do things from here on out because there's been a problem. What do you say? Glory to God. Yes, we're, we're on board with you. Or do you say, I can't believe you're doing that. I don't like that. What do we do? See, we have, we, have, we have guidelines. We have things that set up. We have churches before. Churches have come up. They've had problems. And when you have a problem, what do you do? You never ran into this before. What should, what should we do? We, we need to have a, a guide. We've done that so far in, in, in the church. We've done it in a number of different areas. Just about every area of ministry we have has guidelines, has things to operate by. How many of y'all know guidelines are sometimes hard? In our ministries that we have, folks, if you, you, some of you are involved in the worship team, some of you are involved in the, I mean, back in the sound area, computer area, uh, ushers, uh, pretty much all of them, we have guidelines that are there. Generally, I don't think there's any more than five guidelines we have for any but one particular ministry. That's, that's about it. It's, some might be a little higher, some might be a little bit lower. But it's generally in that, in that area. Are they easy to follow? 
Come on, folks. Guidelines are a piece of cake to follow. The problem is your attitude. There is not a single guideline that is put out that is ever difficult to follow. The problem is bringing your attitude along with it. That's what's there. Now, when we ran cross country, we had a coach who was there. And um, we didn't have many guidelines. These were our guidelines. Be out of practice. Run. Run hard. Shower. Weigh in and eat. That's really it. <laughs> we didn't have anything else we had to do. We had to, had to just do that. Now, some people took those guidelines and ran with it, so to speak. <laughs> some people did not. Some, some people, I, I tell you what, I was not the most talented guy on the, on the cross-country team. There were guys that had much more talent than I have. There was only one other person in my entire time there who loved running as much as I did. His name was Jerry Lee. If he's listened to this, which I doubt very much. Hey, Jerry. <laughs> Jerry was two years ahead of me. He was a senior. He loved to run. This guy loved to run so much, we used to run on the Rockefeller's estate. You know where the Rockefellers are? They have 230-some acres of just cedar trails for their horses. Just for the horses. So we would go out there. The, the place was two and a half miles from our campus. We would run the two and a half miles to get out there. And then we would be on their cedar runs. And we would run on their cedar runs. Oh, you do not know what running is. How could you not fall in love with running, being on the cedar trails of the Rockefeller estate? Running there, you don't even know that there is a world out there. There are no car sounds. There are no sounds at all, just nature. And you're run by waterfalls. And you're running by creeks. And trees are all over the place. And it's just beautiful. And we just would run. But here's what they would tell us. And they would, would go out there. They would warn us. they say, do not leave the trail that we lead you on. Do not leave it. We had uh, several different trails we, we would do in there. And you had to follow it. Do not, they warned us. Do not leave the trail. They used Jerry Lee as the example. This is what Jerry Lee did. Jerry Lee went out and he ran the Rockefeller estate on his own. By himself. And he just went. And did not follow the trail. He just ran. They said he came back 33 miles later. And didn't blink an eye. Loved to run. Loved to run. Most of the guys on the cross country team did not run in the winter and did not run in the summer. They ran during the season and that was it. They didn't love to run. They just ran because they were good at it. I love to run. So I just, but not everybody did that. So the, the coach would have certain things, you know, do things. Not everybody wanted to do them. Not everybody wanted to, to, to do some, there, but there were guidelines that were there. We have guidelines, worship team, we have guidelines. And wh why do we have those guidelines? Because we ran into a problem. And when we ran into the problem, we said, what can we do about this? We sought after God on this thing. And what did God say? Do this. So we did it. Way back when we first started this church, we had a problem. that uh, We had a worship leader. Uh, his name was Jay. He was a good friend of mine. And he, uh, he helped us start all that, that stuff up. And he, had, he encountered a problem. I said, well, what do you think you ought to do about that? So he went away. He, uh, he, he sought after God. He's talk with the team, and they came back, and um, they said, all right, this is what we're going to do. If you can't make practice on Thursday, 
you can't be part of the, the service on Sunday. That's where that one came from. Goes way back then. I don't even know how many years we were as, as a church. We may not have been a church more than a year before here, two years before he brought that guideline in. He brought that guideline in. We kept it in because we knew what the problem was that it avoided. I could go into I, I still know what all the problems were that it helped us to avoid. So he brought that guideline in. Here's another one. Being late. You know, if, if I'm late, I affect me. If a worship team member is late, you affect the entire worship team. That's why it's a guideline. Don't be late. These are things that were put in place to help things go along. If they're all followed, what happens on Sunday? No strife. Everybody's on the same page. Everybody's able to do things. Isn't it fun? That's why they're there. They're not there because we're trying to make things difficult for you. We're not there because we're trying to punish anyone. We're there because it makes things flow. Ushers have some guidelines on there. In order for them to accomplish those guidelines, they need to have at least three people. We need at least three ushers in order for them to accomplish that. And when, when they're not, they don't have three people, we're not accomplishing those guidelines. And I can see the effect that it has. I don't like it. We ought to have at least three ushers. Some of you folks need to step up and well, I'm not called in that ministry. Well, you're not going to get in the ministry you call called unless you start doing some other stuff. Get busy. <laughs> get learning. Do some stuff. We don't have a line up there. to, to be. Raymond has a line to be up. You have to apply. Maybe in a year. <laughs> Isn't, it right? Isn't there a waiting line to be an usher? In Tulsa, it's just it's a whole nother level. There is a waiting line. It is like one of the top positions in the church. I think it's higher than pastor. What do you think? It's, it's up there at least. It's up there. And uh, it's, it's just something. You have to be down there to experience it. But that's, what, that's what's there. Those are the things that are going on. We, we have the, the guidelines. We have those, those things that are in place. When we give the, the guidelines, some people look at them as suggestions. Well, I'll consider doing that. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll think about doing it that way. Because most of the time that we get involved in ministry, we've been so taught about who we are in the Spirit that I want to do what I know to be right. And we can't do that. And we have... a. Uh, you know, the, the, the offering ministry. We started out one particular way. It wasn't quite, we wanted to accomplish something different. This was years ago. Ye- many years ago. We were in this building, but it was many years ago. And I thought to the Lord, how can we change this around? And so we changed it completely around to where it was just a teaching episode and it became something different. It became part of the worship service. And we were, we were bringing that in. And when we first did it, there were people who said, we don't, we don't like it. We had people that bucked against it. I remember one Sunday in particular, we had a guest ministry out, and this, and this, this was going on, and this guest ministry heard someone from the... I don't know who they were. I don't even remember who the guest minister was. I just remember this, this episode going on. Some, somebody from the church heard, uh, was, was there, and they were saying, I don't like what we're doing at, at the offering time anymore. And this guest minister stood up and said, I know exactly what they're trying to do in in the offering time and it's exactly what we did in our church in the offering time and and began to just sing the praises of it and that helped to get that person on on board but you know we find times where we're not quite in line with with all that now brother jolly was up there today did it he totally let every no he didn't <laughs> i'm just messing with you'll notice that one of the things that he did when he got up there was he continued the worship service 
that's completely within the guidelines of what we set up for those guys to do because offering is to be part of the worship service. Now, if I am the one filling in, we have three people up now who do that. Every once in a great while, three people is not enough. And we're missing all three and we have no one to do the offering and I stand up and do it. You will notice I do not carry out the worship service because I love you all. <laughs> we don't do that. Jolly can sing. I I'm not in that, uh, in that boat, so I don't try and, and do those kind of things. But uh, other people, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll have those things. I, I look for other people to, to do that. Uh, Sister Ethel, some people, you know, they, they look at the beginning of the we, she has got. I've changed her guidelines. I don't tell anyone here what I do in changing the guidelines for her. I tell her. Now, I'll tell you what, she is, she is wonderful at this. If I tell her a change in a guideline one time, she remembers it. She will tell me three years ago, you told me to change this. <laughs> she keeps it in mind. And, she, and I'll tell you what, we've had, a, Sister Angel comes out, every time Sister Angel comes out, every single time, she says, oh, I love listening to Ethel. I've been missing, we've got to start recording that because I missed the beginning part of the service because I'm on nursery duty. Which is wonderful, by the way. <laughs> Not complaining about that at all. It is, it is wonderful. I had nursery duty last, last Sunday too, after service. My family wanted to go shopping, and so uh, I didn't need to go shopping. And so the, they had some special sale on that when they catch it before it was over. So I took charge of the little girl. And so for the first part of the shop, shopping trip, now mom has given me guidelines. <laughs> mom has given me guidelines. I am submitted to mom's guidelines, even though I'm her mom's dad. <laughs> I still submit to the guidelines set up by the mom. So mom says, all right, she can do this. So we are allowed to run around the store as long as I am running out after her. So she can run around the store as long as I'm in tow and I'm running. So I run around right behind her. It's all I'm doing. All I'm doing is chasing around a little girl around the store. We just chased each other around. She hid. She played. We had fun. And then, you know, she got tired because they're still shopping. And so, you know, is it okay? I know when the nap time is allowed to be and all that sort of stuff. So we were, we were doing the nap time. And so Pop-Pop got to play with the granddaughter wore her out, carried her around the store until she fell asleep, and then found a nice comfortable sofa on J.C. Penney, and we sat down there for a while. <laughs> it was an excellent day. <laughs> it was an excellent day. We had fun. But you see, she gives me guidelines on what we can do. On, uh, you know, is she allowed to have... Uh, for me, I have no guidelines on chocolate milk except that it cannot happen before a run. That's it. Chocolate milk in the morning, chocolate milk at night. Chocolate milk is good. There is not a bad time for chocolate, but that does not work for the little girl. <laughs> so we have to temper that. You know, I have to ask, is, is, is chocolate milk okay? Because Papa always has chocolate milk. And she knows Papa always has chocolate milk. So we have guidelines in there. I have to submit myself to those things because the more I submit my, myself to those guidelines, what do I get more of? I get more little girl time. <laughs> so see, it's a good thing. Learn to submit to the guidelines because if you do, you become developed in the ministry. If you resist them, you don't. David had 600 men. Some became great warriors and had places in the kingdom and some remained worthless people. The difference is not in the leader the difference is not in the rules. The difference is not in the opportunities. The difference is solely in the attitude. What is your attitude 
when in the ministry you are in, you are met with guidelines. What is the attitude? You see, here's the hard part. When we serve in an area of ministry, we were, were fulfilling the calling that someone else had. And how we, how we do at fulfilling that calling is how God can say whether he, he can trust us with our own special, special part. Let me pull this back up here. I apparently went away. Where did we, what verse did we leave off of? Did we get all the... It should be this guy right here. All right, there we go. Let me go on down his part. Guidelines expose bad attitudes and develop good attitudes. That's what guidelines do. When you get into a ministry, when you get into a job, crave the guidelines. What do you want me to do? How do you want it done? Crave those things because those things will expose your bad attitudes and develop good attitudes. Christians are often found focusing on, get these three things, we're often found focusing on purity, quality, and talent instead of attitude. In the area of ministry, we generally want to look for sinlessness, quality, and talent. But God doesn't look for those things. He looks for attitude. That's what he needs. All right, we're going to give you these real quick. Four attitudes to keep your focus on. Don't have to fill in any blanks. First off, remembrance. Told once, do many times. That's where you want to be. I want to be told one time and do it many, many times. If God says, stay here, I stay there. Whatever God says to me, I do it until God says to quit. That's what you need to be. That's an attitude. That's where you need to get to. Don't be that place where you didn't tell me it this week. Told once, do many times instead of told many times before we do it once. Here's the second one. Diligence. Am I doing what needs to be done? What I want done? What I feel should be done instead of what is desired that I do? That'll expose your attitude, folks. Diligence is not just doing a good job. It is doing what is desired of you to do. That's diligence. Joy. This is the attitude in ourselves. When you are serving God in ministry, joy needs to come up. When joy does not, your attitude needs an adjustment, folks. And it gets adjusted on the inside of you. No one outside of you affects your joy. And stop listening to that lie. There is not a soul out there that affects your joy but you. You can be joyful. Luke 8, 13. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root who believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. How should you receive the word? With joy. Now they should have gone further and done more, but they didn't do, they didn't do that. You should be receiving it with joy. Luke chapter 10, verse 17 to 70, return with joy. They were just commissioned by God. They returned how? With joy. In John chapter 15, verse 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Ephesians and the Colossians talk about whatever you're doing, do it as unto the Lord, not unto men. The reason we have a less than joyful attitude is because people have disappointed us. And we're getting our joy from them. Get your joy from God. Here's the last one. Serve. This is our attitude towards others. But Jesus, verse uh, Matthew 20, 25, but Jesus called them to himself and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and those who are 
great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. If Jesus came in the attitude of service, how should we go? And if you want to be the greatest, you need to be the greatest servant. That's not all the attitudes. You could probably add some more into there. There's four, though. That's enough for you to focus on, isn't it? You get yourself working on those kind of attitudes. If I get myself working on those kind of attitudes and get myself better in those four attitudes, I get even better. I want to become one of the 30, one of the three. I don't want to be kind of back in the area of the worthless. And it's my attitude. It's not the David's. It's me that changes that. It's not the guidelines. It's me. It's me. The guidelines are just going to expose what's already in there. Don't let those, those things come out. Would you all stand up with me? It is communion Sunday. Our ushers are going to distribute our elements here this morning. Glory to God. They got at least three. I think they got four. <laughs> Helps them out. Yeah. Folks, I'll tell you what. If it were up to every pastor in the country, we would probably, at least most, most pastors in the country, there would be no guidelines. Because the more, uh, whatever guidelines you put in place, you have to enforce. It's not fun. It's not fun. It's great when you're dealing with the three and the 30. It's really tough when you're dealing with the others. And they drain a lot of things from you. If it's up to you, you wouldn't have them. But you have to have, have some. Some churches, I know, they go on, on crazy sprees. They're like the government. We're writing pages and pages and pages of laws. Well, you've got to enforce all those laws. The whole idea is keep it simple. Have a few. Have a few things. Just guidelines to keep people in the, in the right, right path. In the right direction. That's what we need to, to do. How are you doing all those things? How you do, where are you at in your ministry? Where are you at in your calling? What's God doing for you? God can develop you. Look at some of the people he used. 80, 100 years old. God use you? Surely can. Get yourself ready. Has everybody been served? On the same night that Jesus was betrayed, before supper, he took the bread and he broke it. He said, this represents my body. Do this in remembrance of me. God knew we would forget that we would start to corrupt the things that were done on the cross. But it was done on the cross for two things. One was for the healing of our body and two was for the redemption of our spirit. He brought us back. But when he broke the body, this is where your sickness and disease was put on. You help him in no way by bearing any sickness or disease. He took it, he bore it. As we eat together, let's remember, Jesus bore our sicknesses in his body so I don't have to bear them in mine. After supper, he took the cup. He said, this represents the blood of the new covenant. The old covenant just covered up sin. This one washed him away. We stand clean before our Father. And every time the enemy comes to remind you of what a sinner you are and how bad you are, you are not mindful of what he has done. He was our sacrifice. He bought us back. We do not wear our righteousness. We wear his.
we drink together, let's remember that. Glory to God. Well, we are late in getting going here. Um, but we had some prayer reports we wanted to, to go over, right? We have a couple. Uh, looks like more are showing up. I wasn't quite sure. So Joy Nasarat says, we have been without heat in our home for about a week and counting, but for some reason we have been extremely comfortable and at peace. And if God has kept our home heated, even with these above, even with these above normal temps, when you get hit with major unexpected financial expenses and you keep your cool and not fret or worry and look at your situation for God to work on your behalf as you stay in faith, God always will show up. I say Thank you, Jolly, for this morning's word. We count it all I cool. That for you, okay. Our furnace, one, our air conditioner, two, and our water heater, three, will be replaced by Wednesday. God has sent the right person to do so after our research. That's a big expense, so that's awesome. That's very, very good. Okay. Miss Sharon says, I bought a new 2002, or 2012, <laughs> 2012 car. Um, one with car payments normally... And normally I don't do that. I was also trying to sell my own car with no interested buyers, which isn't that fun. This week I was informed I need a new furnace. My old one is 30 years old. Well, that's okay. Also, my central air water here is about 16 years old. So with this new expense um, or replacing all three units on my, and my car payments, I was a little overwhelmed. So then I prayed. Light bulb moment. <laughs> um, and after I had peace about everything, I thought... Devil, you're not going to steal my joy and bring it, bring it on because God is on my side. Yesterday, thanks to Bruce Jacobs, I have very interest, a very interested buyer for my old car. Woohoo! Also, Josiah, who wanted to bless me for helping him graduate on time, is that what that is? And advising him on his student loans, bought me a ticket to go to Trinidad. Woohoo! So I thank God for all his blessings. I can't wait to write my praise report. Um. Paying off all the loans. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Very, very, very cool. <laughs> okay. So Ethel says, I prayed to have to have people with a mind to work help me when I went to the Apple and AT&T stores. Ugh. In both stores, everyone was very professional and helpful. While I did not get everything I wanted, the service I received was excellent. I'm still not a second person. I have to trust them also. I feel that I'm not a good person. Tony Moore says, last night I had changed so bad that all I did was pray to God and it went away. Amen. There you go. Nick says, I praise God for the 26 years Chelsea has been here on the earth. And the four years that I have known her. Maybe I should have read that before I announced that exactly. She is a constant reminder of how God is always blessing us. She is a wonderful example of how to walk in God's love always. Happy birthday! Happy birthday! Which is actually in two days? Or Wednesday. Wednesday. Uh, Josiah says, I thank God I was able to pay off all of my school loans in less than a year with my mom's guidance and wisdom. Oh. So I'm going to talk to you after service. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. That is awesome. Very, very cool. 
I did that one. <coughs> and this is mine. It says we come out of Pastor Appreciation Month. I'm so thankful to have pastors who don't compromise. I'm not going to cry because I always do that. Pastors that have a heart for the church family as well as the lost. We don't have to compromise on that. It's not one or the other. It's both. Mm-hmm. And I'm doubly thankful I get to call them parents and triply thankful I get to call them awesome grandparents. Hello. Aww. I love my pastors. <laughs> um... Okay, so this is an announcement from Miss Ethel of the Children's Church. I know we went over a little bit, and they're probably chomping in the bit over there, but it says we need to let the congregation know that they're going to be doing some work in here in the main sanctuary for their Thanksgiving Day production that they're working on. So, in other words, say hi to everybody, give some hugs, and then we'll see you next week. <laughs> they just need the church sanctuary space. I'm sure we can head over to the Children's Church if we need to, you know, talk to somebody or keep things going. Um, the pastor went long today, so I didn't know probably. He did. Yeah. The pastor went I won't even say that. Um, But then another real quick announcement. December 11th is... The Christmas show. Christmas show! Woo! Christmas celebration. Some of you were here, some of you were not here, some of you forgot I even mentioned it at all. But December 11th here at Zoe, 7.30. It's Friday night, two Fridays before Christmas. We have our Christmas celebration, whatever you want to call it. Service, extravaganza, cantata, concert, whatever it is. It is an outreach as much as it is... Let me, let me finish. Hold on. I'm going to answer your question. It is an outreach as much as it is a celebration for us at Zoe. Um, we are announcing to the community we are giving away free toys for children. I am highly encouraging people to register for that. And every time that I blast it on Facebook or social media or whatever it is that I'm using, every time I put it up there, I have people that come and say, hey, please put me on the list. That being said, we have ages from newborn, I have a six-month-old at the time, all the way up through somebody's 15-year-old son. There are all ages that are coming. We have the potential to have an absolute packed house. Woohoo! I'm super excited for that. Do not be afraid to invite people. (laughs) It doesn't have to just be somebody who wants gifts. Invite family, invite friends. Uh, We we talked about this on the worship team uh, on Thursday. This is going to be... um, it's not just come and hear the worship team sing. It's not just come and sing some carols. We are hitting every nail on the head that we have in the body of Zoe. We want Zoe to shine. This is a, a different type of opportunity than we normally have. We have people that are going to be doing sign language. We have kids that are dancing. We have string instruments playing. We have horns playing. We have dances that are happening. We have this. We have it all. <laughs> um, even some acrobatics, I'm not going to lie. It's going to be pretty awesome. So this is the time to invite those people that might not come and sit on Sunday morning. Bring them out. It's Christmas. I, I, God bless them. First thing I heard this morning was a Christmas carol. Yesterday was Halloween. Christmas time. Oh, this is the, the season though. Bring them out. Invite them. Get them excited about just being in a church building. They don't have to be here to, to listen to a sermon. They're excited to see their kids dance and so on and so forth. It's the perfect time to invite the aunts and uncles who don't yeah. get into church and into services to come see their nieces and nephews dance and sing and whatever. Um, we are accepting donations for the gifts, okay? Whether you want to <coughs> buy the gifts themselves, whether you say, I have no idea how to shop for a teenager, here's money, here's a gift card, whatever, we'll take care of that. Bring them new and unwrapped. We have to have them unwrapped so I know what age they're for and what gender they're for. <laughs> um, that, those gifts are not the same thing as the gifts that the ladies' ministry is doing for the shoe boxes, we do still need things for those. I'm sorry, I'm throwing all this information at you. But the shoe box gifts are small. They have to fit in a shoe box with other things. And it can be toothbrushes, toothpaste, socks, hairbands, hair clips, uh, Tonka truck, little cars, anything like that that can go in the shoe box. Those are getting sent out the next week. 
In two weeks. So you have next Sunday and maybe the, the following afterwards. If you need some ideas or I gifts for any of this stuff. Mostly shoe boxes. Oh, I'm sorry. We also actually need shoe boxes to fill. We've filled the ones that we have. Praise God. That's awesome. We have more that we can fill, so we want to keep doing that. So if you have shoe boxes, they have to be normal size shoe boxes. <laughs> Ladies, they can't be like the little ones for flats or giant ones that have boots in them. Just, just sneaker shoe boxes. <laughs> Um, but yes, if you need ideas for gifts, if you need ideas uh, on any of this stuff, if you don't understand what I'm saying, please come find me. <laughs> come and see me. Next week, we will have flyers again like we had for the Family Fun Day. We want to pepper every place we can.